We kick off a brand new series this morning. It's going to run through the entire month of February. And to help us understand kind of where we're coming from and where we're going with that, let me read out of Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, verse 27. It'll set up the entire month for us. If you search for good, you will find it. You will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. If you're searching for good, you'll find favor. But if you're searching for evil, don't worry, you'll find it. It'll find you. So the whole point of this series, the question I would have you ask, not just today, but this entire month is this. What are you looking for? What are you searching for? Proverbs tells us we can either be searching and looking for good or we can search and look for bad, negativity, evil. Both exist, but which one are you looking for? Which one are you focused on? Which one are you going after? There's good in the world, there's bad in the world. Which one are you looking for? Which one are you hunting for? My oldest son, Connor, just finished up his basketball season. This was his first season ever playing basketball. He had a great time, had a lot of fun, learned a lot. Not that great of a basketball player, though. Like, I'll just be honest with you. He had a blast, and it didn't discourage him. He wasn't upset about it. It was just he enjoyed the social aspect of it, enjoyed trying something new. He, it was his decision. I want to try something new. So he signed up, did basketball, had a blast making friends and playing the game. But the entire season never made a basket at all, period. Went scoreless the entire season. So when I say he wasn't the best player, like that's not an exaggeration, but again, he had a lot of fun, worked really hard, he practiced really hard, just never made a basket. So this last Monday night was his last game. Technically, it was like the beginning of the tournament, but we knew that their team most likely wouldn't move on. So we assumed that it was gonna be his last game. So we took the whole family and said, hey, we're gonna support you, your last game, and he was excited, it was gonna be his last game. So he's playing, it's the fourth quarter, he's in. There's only like 30 seconds left and they're down by about 22 points. So whatever happens in the next 30 seconds really doesn't matter at all. But he's still working and he's still having fun and doing his best. Like I said, 30 seconds left, fourth quarter. He's underneath the basket and a ball comes off the rim and he gets a rebound and he puts it back up and it goes in. It went in. And he was so excited. Of course, mom and dad are on the side. Woo! We're going nuts. But something happened I did not expect. This was incredible. So of course, Becky and I are cheering. Connor's all excited that he made his first basket of the entire season. But I look over on the bench, on the sidelines where his team is at. His coach is going ballistic. His coach is running up and down the sidelines. The assistant coach, which I think is in his 70s. Randy, if you're watching, I'm sorry if I'm wrong. But he's jumping up and down, spinning around. And then his coach starts talking to the ref. Timeout, timeout, I need a full timeout. Timeout. As soon as the timeout is called, his coach runs out onto the court, picks Connor up and starts throwing him up in the air. It was the coolest thing. Becky and I are watching, we're like, I think he's happy about this, but I'm not positive. <laughs> but then it started to get contagious, like the entire team is cheering, the entire stands are cheering, the other basketball team is cheering. <laughs> and they're like, now they're down like 18. Why are we excited about this? <laughs> like what just happened? The coach gets all the players during the timeout on the bench and he starts pacing back and forth. That's what hard work looks like. He waited all season. He made a basket. It's the best day ever. Give it. I mean, just going nuts. After the game is over, he circles everybody and he does the same thing again. I was like, coach, you're wearing me out. And I'm like the dad here. 
It was the coolest thing ever. Now, there was a lot that that coach could have paid attention to that entire season. Didn't make a basket the entire regular season. Could have easily have said, well, it's about time, Connor. <laughs> Statistically, you were bound to make one eventually. Could have focused on all the missed shots because even though he went scoreless all regular season, I mean, he shot a bunch. They just never went in. So coach could have paid attention to all the bad, all the wrong, all the misses. Instead, that one shot when they're down 20 points was the best shot of Connor's career. I think he's retiring after this season, by the way. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when you use that word. We're gonna talk about a lot this morning and this month of encouragement, the good. The bad was still there. The fact that Connor made one shot didn't take away all the misses the rest of the season. But there was a choice to pay more attention to that made shot. So I'll ask you again, what are you looking for? The good and the bad, they exist. Which one are you searching for? Which one are you looking for in your own life, in the lives of the people around you, in the world, in your neighborhood? What are you looking for? The Apostle Paul had a lot of bad in his life. He experienced a lot of difficulties, a lot of negativity in his life. If you've got your Bible, head over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll be there the rest of the morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 gives us a very interesting viewpoint of Paul's life. In fact, if you go back to chapter 6, just one chapter before, Paul even reminds, the, reminds us as the readers and the church, Corinth, that he's writing to, reminds them of, here's all the things that we've dealt with. You don't have to turn there, but in chapter 6, he starts to list everything that Paul and his companions had gone through. Troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. How's that for a list of bad things in your life? He's like, man, we've been there. We're in the middle of some of those. And he reminds them, man, this is everything that we've been walking through. Here's the bad that's been happening in our lives. Here's the negativity that we've been dealing with. Then he picks it back up where we're gonna look at it. Chapter seven, verse five. He continues to explain the hardships that they're going through. Some within their control, some without of their control. He says, verse five. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the end outside, fears within. You see how he picks that back up. Here's everything we've gone through and the hunger and the turmoil and the stresses and the hardships, imprisonments, beatings, and now we finally come into Macedonia. And if, if I were to take the liberties of changing a couple words, I don't think it was so much for when we came into Macedonia. I would say when we were dragged into Macedonia, when we stumbled into Macedonia. We were exhausted. Our bodies had no rest. We were tired. We were harassed at every turn. So we're tired and we're exhausted. Now we're harassed at every turn. There's always somebody that's against us, somebody that's opposing us. And even says, conflict on the outside, fears within. Just reading through that one line of what Paul was dealing with hits home, doesn't it? This could be any single one of us. I dragged into work this morning harassed at every side, exhausted because of the proposals I had to make and the deadlines that were getting cut close and we're, we're low on staff or I'm high on staff, but they're the wrong staff. I mean, you name it, we drag into work. 
and I'm tired and I'm exhausted. I have people opposing me on every side. There's conflict everywhere, not just in my life, but in the world. I've got fear on the inside of me, so I'm battling these internal struggles. I drag myself home. I got conflict at home and my marriage and my kids and my family and you name it and I'm still, you see, can you put your name in there with me? See, it's not just personally either, it's just like the world we live in. The negative is always highlighted. The bad is always shown. In fact, I wanted to try that out. I didn't wanna just say that and make an assumption. So last night I waited as long as I could. I pulled out my phone and I looked at my news app. And on my news app, which everybody's got the app that they use, on my news app, I wanna read some of the top headlines for you. Here were some of the top headlines last night on my phone. One, most of them at the beginning talked all about the political problems that our country is facing right now. I think we could all agree that that's an issue. Regardless of which side you agree or disagree, we could all say, well, yeah, it's a problem. The virus outbreak, there was a shooting after a funeral of all things. There was a story about the death of a CEO that died of cancer at the age of 37. This headline though for me took the cake. Here's the headline, quote, not to ruin the Super Bowl, but the sea, the ocean is consuming Miami. <laughs> really? Like we're gonna talk about that now. Like one of the, the biggest days in professional football where everybody's excited, talk about a Debbie Downer. Yeah, the Super Bowl, we're excited. Half of, well, I shouldn't say half. Most of the country's just excited that the Patriots are not in the game. Sorry for a handful of you today. But here's the ultimate negative, Nancy saying, yeah, but you know Miami's sinking into the ocean. Really? That's the best we can come up with? And that was in the top articles. There was nothing else in our world that we should be talking about today. No, Miami is sinking. That's the world we live in, isn't it? And so here, Paul is not immune to what we are dealing with, saying, look at all the negativity, look at all the bad. Verse six is gonna change his life, and I hope it changes your life. Verse six, look at it with me. But God. So yes, we're dealing with stresses, and we're dealing with hardships, and we've been hungry, we've been in prison, we've been beaten, we are tired, exhausted, we have conflict on the outside, we have fears within us and personal struggles, but God. Anytime you see but God show up in scripture, something is about to change. Anytime you see a but God show up in your own life, something is about to change. But God, who comforts the downcast, who encourages the discouraged, he comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you have given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow and ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. Powerful few sentences. I'm dealing with all this negativity and all this bad and all this struggle, but God. And we learn a couple things in just these short few verses. And that's what we're gonna talk about the rest of the morning. The first thing is we learn about who God is. We just sang, this is who you are. Well, let's add to the list. Who are you, God? Well, you are the comforter of the downcast. That word comfort, original language, ties into comfort. It also means encourager or helper, one to lift up. So God is the one who comforts you. God is the one that cares for you. God is the one that encourages you. He comforts the downcast. He encourages the discouraged. That comes from God. And Paul recognized that of saying, no, no, that, that comfort, that encouragement, God is only gonna come from you. 
But what's interesting is then what Paul explains happens next. So, but God comforted us. We get our comfort and our encouragement from God, but then he explained how that actually happened. Paul says, because Titus came. God's the comforter, but we were comforted because of Titus. And we see right there how God works when he encourages and comforts you and me through other people, through those that are next to you right now, through one another. God's the comforter, God's the encourager, the good comes from God, but then God uses us in each other's lives to show it and to be that in one another's lives. So that's what we're gonna talk through. We need to hit those two pieces out of this so we can understand how that actually applies in our lives. So here's, let's go back to that first one. But God, the comforter, but God, the encourager, the one who comforts and encourages us. First thing you need to wrestle with and understand is that we are needing to see the good. Like we said, the bad and the good both exist. The question again that I've been asking is what are you looking for? What are you hunting for? What are you searching for? Are you looking for the good? Do you see the good? See, Paul recognizes that it was God. He talks about God being the comforter before he talks about Titus and the situation. He says, but God who comforts, or God who encourages the discouraged, he gives God credit for being the one that encouraged them. That's key, that's huge. So we need to talk about polar bears and penguins. That's gonna help you understand this a whole lot better. I promise, it's gonna make sense, stick with me. Polar bears and penguins, there's a paradox here. Here's the idea. It would seem that polar bears and penguins, you would find them in the same habitat. If you went to the North Pole, that you would find penguins and polar bears. That, that makes sense, like they both, similar climate, like they just seem to go together. Coca-Cola puts them together all the time and you would think that that would make sense. I mean, Coca-Cola is always true. However, reality could not be further from the truth. In fact, they literally live on opposite ends of the world. Polar bears only live in the Northern Hemisphere, in the Arctic, North Pole. Penguins only live at the South Pole in the summer, Southern Hemisphere of Antarctica. Fun little fact for you, you ready for this? Arctic from the Greek word means literally bear. So if Arctic means bear, what do you think Antarctica means? No bear. <laughs> so literally bears live in bears and penguins live where there are no bears. <laughs> literally what, that's what that means. Now, I would love to tell you that I've always known this. No, my seven-year-old taught me this a couple weeks ago and my mind was blown. <laughs> so if some of you are like, I always thought polar bears and penguins would live together, I'm with you. But here's the point, if you were to go to the North Pole looking for penguins, you would be sorely disappointed. If you walked up to the North Pole and were looking for a penguin, you would never find them. You will find polar bears. You will never find a penguin. It doesn't matter how long you wait for them, they're never gonna show up. It doesn't matter how much money you spend on the right, perfect guide and tour, you're never gonna see them. There is no possible way short of shipping a penguin from the South Pole to the North Pole that you will ever find a penguin in the North Pole. Why do I tell you that? I'm gonna state the obvious for you. What are you looking for? Well, it's determined by where you are. If you're looking for the right thing in the wrong place, you're never gonna find it, ever. So if you're looking for good, in the wrong place, you're not gonna see it. It's like looking for a penguin in the North Pole. You're never going to find it. So let me help you think a little bit differently. 
If you want to start looking for good, if you want to start finding more good in yourself, in the people around you, in the world around you, it's there. You might just not be looking in the right place. So if you want to start, make a change today. If you want to start looking and finding good, if you want to start seeing the good, start looking at God because he's the giver of all good things. He's the source of encouragement and the source of comfort. So if you want to start looking and finding and seeing good, start looking at God instead of looking at all the bad and wondering where God is. Because we fall in one of those two categories. Typically the latter that says, oh, look at all the bad in my life and in my family and in the world around me. Everything's falling apart. God, where are you? Instead of saying, God, I see you. I see your goodness. You are good. I see everything you've done in my life. I've seen the good that you've done in your word. I've seen the good that you've done in the people around me. Now, does that mean I'm not aware of the bad in life? No, of course not. It's not ignorance is bliss here. It's not turning a blind eye. It's what you're looking for. It's what you're focused on. And Paul intentionally and specifically said, no, I'm looking to God first. That's where good comes from. In fact, if I were to back up, we started in verse five. If I could show you just one verse prior to verse five, the end of chapter, or the end of verse four, look at what Paul writes. It's fascinating that he can even say this. Paul says, I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bound. I am greatly encouraged. Not I hope to be encouraged. Not I'm trying to see the silver lining in life. Not that I wish I were encouraged. No, it's I am greatly encouraged. Yes, in all of my troubles, he is very aware of the problems in his life and in the world. And in all the troubles, he says, my joy knows no bound. Can you and I say that? I'm greatly encouraged. I'm greatly encouraged. And yes, I see the troubles in my life and in the world around me, but my joy knows no bound. If you want to be able to say that, like Paul says that, you start by looking to God first. See God's goodness and you will find good. Where are you looking? What are you searching for? Start by looking for polar bears where polar bears are. <laughs> Look for good where good is. It starts with God. That's the first thing Paul shows us. The second part is that interesting part of God using Titus, Titus showing up. So this is the idea of God is good. God is the encourager. God is the source of comfort. But he uses, he portrays that and shows that through one another, through us. So I would tell you, first you have to see the good. Now you have to be the good. Notice the difference between being good and being the good. Does that make sense? I'm not telling you to be perfect. We've talked about that before and how that's not possible. This is being the good that God has shown you, being the encouragement that God has given you, being the comfort that God has comforted you with. It's now being that to somebody else. Notice the progression of how this works. So he first gives God the credit. God, you're the one that comforts us and encourages us. Then look, he was comforted and encouraged by the coming of Titus. So you have, follow me here. Paul's discouraged. God is the giver of encouragement. God sends Titus to encourage Paul. Put yourself in there. Somebody you know is discouraged. God is the God of encouragement. God sends you to encourage the person you know. Put yourself in there. I'm discouraged. God is the God of encouragement. Who is God sending to encourage me? You see how God's working. 
Now, fascinating. Buckle up for this one. This one blew my mind when I paid attention to it. So, God's the God of encouragement. Then look at this next part here. It says that he comforted us by coming to us. That we were comforted by the coming of Titus. Another translation in New Living says this. His presence, talking about Titus, his presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. Don't miss that first part. Paul says we were comforted and encouraged because Titus showed up. It was his presence that encouraged us and brought us joy. So it was before Titus said anything. It was before he met any kind of a need. Before he did anything, he just showed up. And just by showing up, his mere presence brought encouragement. It's powerful. Just being there allowed Titus to be the good for Paul and his companions. Now, something happens when you walk into a room, when, when anybody walks into a room of people you are one of two things. We're gonna call them the O's. Here's what I mean by that. You walk into a room and you get an, oh, it's Brian, it's so good to see you. Woo, we've been waiting on you. Or you walk into a room and it's, oh, it's Brian. What is he doing here? Who invited him? The two O's. Titus shows up and Paul says, oh, oh, it's Titus. Thank you so much, we needed this. Instead of, oh, God sent you. You sure about that? I would have double checked, man. That doesn't seem right. So let me flip that around. If we're saying we need to be the good, what happens when you walk into a room of people? Which O are you? Oh, we're so glad. Or, oh, you shouldn't have. Really, you shouldn't have. If you're not sure, ask the people closest to you. I mean that. Not sarcastically. Like, ask your spouse. Ask your kids, ask your family, ask the people that you share a cubicle with, ask the people that you are around and just say, hey, when I walk into the room, what emotions do you feel? <laughs> loaded question, get ready. Don't get defensive, just listen. That's a loaded question, isn't it? When I walk into a room, what emotions do you feel? If it's not joy, I would ask some follow-up questions. Because <laughs> Titus's presence brought joy before he said anything. Just by the nature of what I do, I'm in a lot of settings where people are heartbroken because of loss. Funerals and memorials are one of those places. And I can tell you when I go and do a memorial and a funeral and I meet with the family and the friends, I have a few words that I say. Family and friends, they come up and they say a few words. But in talking with those family members afterwards, they don't remember what anybody said. They remember who was there. People remember your presence more than they will remember your words at times, especially when going through some of these difficulties like Paul's talking about. The mere presence of Titus brought encouragement and joy. God used Titus's just showing up. But the words are also important, right? You need to have the presence, but you also need to be able to speak words of life. Let me put some passages on the screen because this idea of words uh, being important is a pretty common theme throughout scripture, Old and New Testament. So I tell you, take a picture of this or write down the references. Do some reading of these this week. There's just three. I could have put 10 more up there, but start with three. That seemed pretty doable. Let me just, I'm not gonna read them, but let me kind of explain some key words in each of those. So that first one, Thessalonians, pretty straightforward. It tells us to do what? 
encourage each other. <laughs> Can't get any more plain than that. There's a reason behind that, but at least start there. We're told to do that. We need to look for ways to encourage and then actually encourage with our words and our actions and our presence. Ephesians gives us both sides. Don't do this, but do this. Don't speak like this, but make sure you speak like this. And here he even gives a little bit of an underlying reason or even a focus point based on the needs of the people that you're encouraging. So now I have to be aware of what's going on in their life. I need to be aware of what they need so I know how to best encourage. What I need to say, maybe what I need to not say. Maybe it's no words at all, it's just being there. Then the last one out of Proverbs gives such a good image of what the result is of our words. Life or death. The words that you choose to use will either breathe and bring life or they will tear, they will tear down and destroy. So spend some time in those passages this week. Let them kind of wrestle with them and let them dig deep and and place roots in your heart. Because being the good is, yes, being that presence, but it's also speaking that truth and that life into other people. So it would not be helpful if we just talked about that. It's like, okay, well, that's the principles. That's what we learn about God. We need to put that into practice. So I've got a couple ways that we're gonna actually do that. On your way out, I've got a bunch of these hunting good cards on the back, and I want you to take as many of these. I can always order more, they're super cheap. On the back side, all it says is you are really good at, and then a fill in the blank. So what I would encourage you to do, take more than one, like you should at least be able to take two, take as many as you want, and intentionally, specifically, start thinking of people that you want to encourage this week. And all you gotta do is write down the the finishing line of that sentence. You are really good at helping me. And then this week, you're gonna go to that person and just say, I wanted you to know I'm thankful for you. You're really good at helping. I just wanted you to know I thought about it ahead of time and I wanted to give you this. Come up with another one. You're really good at fill in the blank. This week, hand it to them. Maybe it's a text message right here, right now. Man, this person's been on my heart. Like, I'm so thankful for them, but I don't know if they know how thankful I am of them. They did something that was really great and, and I saw it but I don't know if they know that I saw it. I wanna make sure that they know it. So use a card, take a bunch of these. Our guest services volunteers will have them. They're at a bunch of the tables out there. Take a stack if you want to. But the only downside to something like this and even a text message is there's a lot of easy excuses, isn't there? Well, you know, I'll get around to it. Well, I didn't see them this week. I'm convinced that we leave a lot of things on the table. I'm convinced that we see the good, we just don't speak the good. So if you wanna be the good after you see the good, you're gonna have to say the good to the other people because that's where life is given. And it's not as awkward and as difficult as you might think, but yes, it takes intentionality and it takes time. Let me show you what this looks like. Becky, can I steal you for a minute? Might get in trouble a little bit later, but come on up. Give it up for my wonderful wife. There you go, honey. Do you know what this is about? Don't answer that. All right. Hey there. All right, ignore them just for a second. They're not important. I want you to know something. I want you to know that I think you're the best wife in the entire world that a husband could ask for because, not just saying the words, but because of what you do for me and because of what we get to do. I was really trying this. Because of what we get to do together, because of how well you take care of me and how well you take care of our kids You're the perfect mom. Doesn't mean that you are perfect or we are perfect, but I do think that we are perfect together in every way. You give up a lot. I don't think anybody, even me, probably knows all the sacrifices that you have given up for me and for your family because of your relationship with Jesus and you followed him wholeheartedly. So I could never ask for anything more. You do a great job. I know you don't always feel that way, but you do a great, great job. Thank you and I love you. 
Look, you can get down now. <laughs> hey, husbands. Boom. Here's what I would tell you. There's a lot that I see in her that I don't tell her all the time, right? She does so much and, and it took a sermon on encouragement for me to look her in the eye and tell her that. That's terrible on my part. Don't leave today without inviting somebody to sit across the table from you. So we got these really nice, super bright red stools that are gonna be sitting out in the lobby with a table between them. They're all roped off so, so you can intentionally make your way up there, but instead of leaving things on the table, things that you see but have never said, today that stops, today that changes. So yes, I know it feels a little intimidating, like wait, it's in the middle of the lobby and everybody's around and everybody's looking, you're right. But we are so good at highlighting the bad and highlighting the negative, we have done a terrible job of highlighting the good. So that changes today. So today, next week, the week after, and the fourth week, you have four weeks on a Sunday where these chairs and a table are gonna be out in the lobby for you to do just that. I'd say before you leave, you need to invite somebody to sit across the table. It doesn't have to be long, it could be one word, it could be a phrase, it could be a sentence, whatever. It can be, it can be as, as, what, as whatever it needs to be for you to look at the other person and say, you're doing good. I see the good in you. Thank you for the good that you've done. You're really good at. Those are just simple prompts you need to look over. So it might be a spouse. It might be a coworker. It might be a kid. It might be a parent. It might be a sibling. It might be another volunteer. It might be somebody you do not know, but you've seen them do something from afar and you get to introduce yourself to them for the first time and say, I've seen this in you and I appreciate this in you. So thank you for the good that you're doing. Don't miss an opportunity to speak life into other people. Don't leave anything else on the table. So yes, for some of you, that is a crazy stretch. You might need a few weeks to build up to it. I'm fine with that. You got four weeks. My challenge is between now and the end of the month, every single person at Mountain Lake Church would have sat somebody in a chair across the table from them. Maybe you need to bring that person with you next week. Even if they don't come to church, have them sit in the chair and then you guys can go to IHOP. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Get them in the chair. Be the good after you've seen the good. So two questions to start wrapping up with. Here's the first one. You're gonna notice a key word in both of these questions. The first one is, what do you need to do today to see the good from God? Are you looking for polar bears in the South Pole? Go to the North Pole. <laughs> what do you need to do today to start seeing good? Maybe you need to zoom out. Maybe you need to take inventory of the blessings in your life. Maybe you need to just start thinking about God and his goodness and ask God, what have you done in my life that I need to be able to see? What do you need to do today to start seeing the good from God? Second question has to do with being the good. What do you need to do today, there's your key word for both of those, today, so that your presence and your actions and your words bring joy. So maybe you need to be more self-aware of the words you speak. Maybe you need to be more intentional about the people that you're sitting across the table with. Instead of nitpicking all the time, maybe you need to focus on the good first. Like I said, I'm not saying it's a blind eye to all the negative and the bad, but where do you focus on and where do you start? What do you need to do today so that you are the, oh, thank you, versus the, oh, I wish you hadn't. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Good comes from God. God is good all the time. 
And when we say yes to Jesus, it feels like there's sometimes there's a disconnect there. Well, God is good and good things come from him, but my life isn't good right now. Well, understand when we say yes to Jesus, he didn't promise that things would always be good the way that we define good. In fact, he said, in this life, you will have anybody know, you will have troubles. So how do we, how do we deal with that? Saying yes to Jesus, accepting his grace and his love, but still dealing with the heartaches and heartbreaks of our world and our lives. Something happens when we say yes to Jesus, and I'll wrap up with this one. Romans chapter 12, verse two. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform or change you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's interesting. I mean, Jesus doesn't just like snap his fingers when I become a Christian and my life changes, my surroundings, and no. It's changing how we think. Then, oh, that means that it has to happen in the right order. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Encouragement does not change the situation. It breathes life into the person, whether that's you breathing that into somebody else or somebody else breathing that into you. So I'll end with asking you the same question. What are you looking for? And where are you looking? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. You are good. Even when things are not good, you're good. Even when life is not good, you're still good. When our world seems to be falling apart, you are still good. And comfort and encouragement only come from you. So often we try so hard to find the good and the comfort and the encouragement in all the wrong places. And no wonder we come up empty. So may we start looking at you. May we start finding the good first with you and letting you open our eyes to the good around us. The bad will be there. The good is also still there. They both exist. May we focus on you and the good so that we can not just see the good, but be the good in other people's lives as well. Jesus, change how we think, change how we see, change how we speak for the good of others. Change our lives in the process. We cannot do this without you. In Jesus' name, amen.